are now listening to the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne. We invite you to take a deep breath, open your mind, and prepare to go on this wild ride. Episode loading in five, four, three, two. Ooh. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Melanated Movement Podcast with Anne, my amazing co-host Tess. And we have a very special guest today. Our Rose is in the building. Hello, Rose. How are Hi, you? Hello. Hi, ladies. Hello. Welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Oh. Glad to be here. Yes. Oh, we've been working on trying to get you in this booth with us and have this conversation for a little while. So I'm grateful that you're able to come in, spend the time, have the conversation, have a few drinks. (laughs) 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 And discuss some, you know, some serious topics. So again, we're happy to have you. So let's have a quick introduction. Tell the people who you are, where you're from, what you do, so they can get a feel of, you know, what's going on. Okay. Hi, my name is Rose Chington Obel. I am an eight-year veteran teacher. Yay. I work for the school district of Palm Beach County. School location, I would rather not say, but it is in Palm Beach County. And um, I love what I do. I love the kids. I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was like five years old. Um, It's my passion. I love it. Um, what grades have you taught, Rose? So I have taught, wow, I've been around the block. <laughs> <laughs> I've taught kindergarten, um, third, fifth. I was in fourth for like a very, very small amount of time. But um, I, my favorite grade, I would have to say, I loved kindergarten when I was in it. I did kindergarten for about three years and I absolutely loved it. And then I got thrown into fifth grade and I absolutely loved it. Um, I love that. I love the independence of the mm-hmm. older older students and just the kind of conversations you could have with them and they just get it, mm-hmm. you know. And they're funny, they're fun. You could joke around with them, and um, I have a very satire humor, <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they get it. But you know, with the younger kids, they're just so innocent and so young they're and trying to figure it out. Right, mm-hmm. right. So I do prefer the older students. I think fifth grade is such a like. Like, it's a great place to, like, mold the kids. Because, like, once they hit sixth grade, it's like it's like they're crashing into the wall because middle school is, like, crazy. Right. Like, my, so my son is in middle school. And so the transition from fifth grade to, like, sixth grade was kind of crazy. I am not going to lie. Because when I was in middle school, I hated it. I was, like, bullied and everything. So I prepared myself. Oh, my God, it's terrible. So I prepared my son, like, okay, where well, you're entering a new realm. People are going through their hormones and stuff. And, like, in fifth grade with his fifth grade teacher, he had, he had an interesting teacher. Uh I can't say I was the biggest fan. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of interesting oh, teachers out there. Oh, my God. Sure. So there was, she didn't prepare them at all. Kind of like, I understand it was a kind of the COVID era. So you have the change of how right. you're teaching. You have the how you're approaching the kids. You don't have that that intimacy that you would have if it's, you know, face-to-face. Correct. So I, I feel like the intimacy def- definitely was lacking in that fifth-grade classroom. However, the teacher didn't prep them at all for sixth grade. Like, my teacher, when I, and when I was in elementary school, she was like, girl, listen. <laughs> Middle school doesn't look like this. Right. You know, but kind of mentally prepare yourself. So I love the fact that you love fifth grade. I love that fifth grade. That gives me so much confidence. I love talking to teachers that love what they do. They love the kids they work with. They're passionate about what they want to teach them. I think teachers are amazing. You guys are the ones that mold our kids so greatly, spend so much time with them, and... Oh, I love that you're Thank you. Thank you for what you do, by the way. It takes an incredible amount of resilience to do what you do every single day. And I just, you know, hats off to you. 
Thank you. It's really nice to hear that. I think at times um, teachers were loved one minute and blamed and hated the next. You know, during the pandemic, you know, we were praised, you know, when uh, parents had their students at home and they're like, oh, my God, I don't know how teachers do it. Kudos to you. And then we went back to school and it's like, oh, you guys are the worst. And, you know, you guys are the reason for all the problems. So I find it a lot of times in society, teachers were either loved or hated. And it kind of changes from time to time. It's never um, one thing for too long. We're not loved for long or hated for long. It kind of goes back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're blamed for a lot of the wrong in our society. I agree. I think they're just looking for a place to put it, like put the blame for some of the things that happen. Obviously, it's our government that's not regulating things or putting band-aids on things. And they're not taking the blame or taking on the responsibility of correcting it. And we're the one that's existing in the rules that they're making. And we have these teachers that are doing their job and doing what we're expecting them to do in the sense of waking up every day and teaching our kids and, you know, putting themselves out there. And it's okay. Well, we can't blame the um, the people that's making the rules. So let's let's blame the ones that literally have to stand behind this computer every day or go to class every day even though you guys are forced to go back to school some teachers are forced to get the COVID vaccine you guys are going through so many new regulations and if you're against it you're the issue but then what about everything else that's going into it and I did feel like you guys weren't protected the way you were supposed to be with everything going on so again we definitely thank you for what you do because you're touching our kids so greatly every day thank you and the crazy part is that a lot of the policymakers and people that are making the policies and the rules and regulations, they have no classroom experience. Um, so I've always had an issue with someone coming into my classroom and telling me what I should or shouldn't be doing when they've never been a teacher. They've never mm-hmm. been in the classroom. They don't know what it's like. Um, and if you're not a teacher, you have no idea what it's like to be a teacher mm-hmm. and um the ins and outs and the day-to-day of being a teacher mm-hmm. so it's mind-boggling to me how people with absolutely no teaching experience are actually the ones making a lot of those like rules and regulation and guidelines it makes no sense right it's like me going to a doctor's office and telling the doctor what to do i have absolutely right. no experience i did not go to medical school right um, I cannot tell that doctor what they should or shouldn't be doing Absolutely. or how they should or shouldn't be doing something. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So speaking of, I'm sorry, uh, speaking of the changes that we did experience with COVID, how did that change for you? Because you are a veteran teacher. You've taught so many grades. You've been this for a while. So how was it for you transitioning from the way that you were teaching before, going through the, like, that really intense COVID phase and how things have progressed since then? It was a very difficult two years, I'd have to say. In my eight years being an educator, the last few years have been the absolute hardest. Um, Virtually, virtual teaching was difficult. Again, students are at home. So as a teacher, there's only so much that you can control. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you could tell them to turn their mic on. You could tell them to turn their camera on. But again, you're on a screen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they could just ignore you or turn off their screen Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the students had a lot of difficulty. And I believe Mm -hmm. that students with disabilities um, suffered the most during um, the pandemic. And then we were thrown back into the classroom. And you have to understand that students were home for two years 
um, and being thrown back into the classroom and getting acclimated to basically society. Mm -hmm. I mean, not knowing how to play, not knowing how to socialize, um, not knowing how to sit still, Mm -hmm. um, reteaching them how to sit in a desk um, and focus and just all the things that they knew before kind of changed. But the wonderful thing is technology. Mm -hmm. Um, We started some really great things in our classrooms with technology because of COVID, because we had to go virtual. Mm -hmm. So a lot of great programs out there um, for teachers to use. So I think that was one of the positives of the pandemic. but, yeah, it took a while for students and teachers to get acclimated to being back in the school building. Mm-hmm. That's, you know what? Listening to that, my son, when he was doing the virtual schooling, I had to create a whole, like, we put a, um, we created an office within my office for him. And we, when, every, before everything started, we are like, okay, mic on, camera on. But I'm more of a helicopter mom. Like, I will be over him, looking at him, like... Are you listening? That's not what she said. I'm like writing things down because the Wi-Fi, because everybody's on the Wi-Fi. Right. I'm working on the Wi-Fi. You're working on the Wi-Fi. Like the neighbors, like everybody's using so much of it to where like he was getting like completely disconnected. His would just fall off randomly. And so his teacher would call me like, hey, Jeremiah. I'm like, I know. I, I fell off of my thing too. I was on a Zoom meeting and his dropped, mine dropped. It was terrible. And so my son, like he's definitely someone he has to physically see something. I'm the same way. I have to see it for me to learn it. So him going through the virtual classes was a little bit hard. You know what I mean? After he would get out of class, I would kind of go through like a review with him. Like, okay, what did we learn? Like, what did you need help with? Is there something that you're not getting? Or And we would have to go through with it because I, I, I knew what he was going through because I was like, I go through the same things. But I understand that every parent has that opportunity. Not every parent was able to work from home. Right. Not every parent has that one child that they're focusing on. So it's the idea of like teaching during the pandemic blows my mind because you're trying to control all these things that's going on the kids are out here doing their their thing and then for you to go back in and some teachers went in where it's partially virtual for half the class then there was like kids that are physically in class yes yes we did do the hybrid method for a while um and then this is the first full year where Mm -hmm. everybody was back in the classroom um the hybrid method wasn't terrible but again you had students at home I mean they're laying in bed they're watching tv I mean they're kids they're gonna do what kids do and when the it's like when the um what is it when the cat is away the mice will play so I mean a lot of parents are not there or they're there with their older siblings that are not on top of them so they kind of do what they want and again as the teacher on the screen, you could only say so much. You could only do so much. I mean, I would call parents sometimes like, hey, so-and-so is not online. And the parents are like, really? Well, I'm at work. I'm going to call them right now and make sure they get on. So um, it was definitely a team effort. Right. Definitely a team effort. And we appreciate parents like you who stay on top of things and make sure, you know, things are getting done. So as things have changed, of course, going from in the classroom, out of the classroom, back in, of course, that comes with like drills and how kids are like, um, I guess, interacting with each other when it comes to things, listening to you with instructions of how to go about things. Um, During the hybrid season, I did notice that the teachers started doing their different drills again. They were doing their fire drills again. They were doing their, um, their cold red drills again and things like that. Would you be able to tell us how maybe your drills may have changed as time has gone on or how things may worked for you then that maybe don't work for you now or things you might want to change or anything like that? 
Well, I know that they're, they created a committee at each school, um, a safety committee, and the drills more tightened, but the frequency changed. Um, I think right now we're at 10 code reds for the school year. I want to say I could be wrong. And I'm sorry for all of, like, people who are listening what is a code red okay so a code red is when somebody's on campus that shouldn't be like an active assailant or um maybe a crime happened across the street close to the school so we go on lockdown so then the police can take care of it um just to make sure the students are safe we are to close our blinds we have um covers over our our doors, we have like the little window on the door. So we cover that. The students go in an area away from windows and doors where they can't be seen. In the past, we've blocked it off with red tape, but this year we didn't do it. The students just know the designated area. And it's a very tense time during those drills. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really stress the important the importance of staying quiet to students but at the same time they're kids so you know they're gonna move around they're gonna play around so just keeping them very very quiet and still um so the frequency of the drills have changed we do more drills now throughout the school year um we do them in the morning in the afternoon they kind of gauge it we kind of do them at different times of the day because in a real life situation you know, an assailant is not going to pick the morning time. Like, you just right. don't know when it's mm-hmm. going to happen. And um, a lot of the kids get scared. So I'm trying to calm them down and reassure them, you know, this is just a drill. It's not real. You know, when I taught kindergarten, they would cry and they would call for their mommy. And I'm like, no, sweetie, you know, it's just a drill. It's not real. It's just practice. So um, that still must be tough. it is. So. Is there a re- what is the reasoning behind increasing the number of, of drills in the school year? In preparation for if something would actually happen, but we know in real life, you can never truly prepare for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do all the drills in the world, but God forbid it came down to that. I mean, nobody knows what would happen, what they would do. Um, how we would react. Um, we would hope with the trainings and the drills that, you know, it would turn out the way it's supposed to, but that's not something that you can really prepare for. Um, I know a lot of other changes that happened after um, the shooting from um, Marjorie Stoneman mm-hmm. Douglas High School. Mm-hmm. Um, they did the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act. Mm-hmm. And with B seventy twenty six. Yes. Mm-hmm. And with that act, um, all schools got a resource officer. Um, we had an amazing one at my school. Shout out to her. I don't want to say her name, but she's amazing. Um, all the kids loved her. She built such a great relationship with the students. Amazing. Yes, I think I believe that that helped them feel safer. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act, we got behavior specialists at our school. So that kind of helps the students um, with their behavior and to sort of deal with certain things. Um, yeah. One of the things that I was actually pretty 
impressed with the state of Florida about was actually how quickly they acted on implementing the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act. Because um, the incident with um, the school occurred on 2-14, on February 14, 2017. And it was signed into law, which is SB 7026, or the Douglas High Act, on March 9th. Um, 2017. And so in addition to everything that you just mentioned, they also extended mental health services and regulate um, um, and establish funding for like additional like school security, like you talked about right. the resource um, officer. Um, they also like included like these safety measures um, that allow like sheriffs to appoint designated like employees as guardians who are required to receive firearm and safety training. And so I had a follow up question regarding that. Um, are there any staff trained, like staff you know? Because I know there were non-teaching staff, but are there any staff that you know who happen to be trained in like firearm and firearm safety? Not that I know of. I'm okay. not privy to that um, information. Um, as far as educators having firearms in school, it makes me very uneasy. Yes. I Agreed. don't feel safer um, knowing that teachers could carry you know guns in school I mean obviously there would be safety measures it would be locked up and you know they would take precaution but I I don't feel safer it doesn't make me feel safer um I think we should leave that to the officers um and let them do their jobs Mm -hmm. personally I'm not licensed to carry um I want to but I'm not and even if I did even if I was licensed to carry a weapon, I wouldn't want it in the schools. I I just see so many wrong, so many things that can potentially go wrong with that. Oh, absolutely. And I know that right now, in the state of Florida, it is still very much illegal to carry um, a firearm on school grounds or yes. um, school buses, um, you know, by the school stop. You can't even have it in your car you on even, campus. Correct. You can't even have it in your car at a at a school bus stop, yeah. actually. Yeah. And you can't be, you know, walking in a threatening manner within like a thousand feet. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get I'm going to get advocacy head for a minute on this. When you talk about the number of drills that have been implemented and how they have increased in com- in comparison to previous years, I can't help but thinking of like victim blaming as like the closest comparison to it, where it's like assaults are happening right to women on uh, on a daily basis, and we're taught like at you know femmes and women are taught to like carry. Um, mace with them and like pepper spray and not wear certain outfits and go out alone in certain places and these poor innocent children and the teachers devoted to their education every day in addition to carrying the stress of you know managing this group of students for eight plus hours a day now also have to implement all of these safety drills when it's not their fault your right. fault that all of this is happening so right. what is the like what is the um i guess what's the consensus like amongst like teachers like how do you how do you feel about the drills that you have to implement like seeing the children and having to navigate all of that with the children because like, like you said yourself like the kids are not necessarily going to be quiet even though they're ta- they're being right. told to because they're children right so how how do you emotionally and mentally one prepare yourself for those situations and two like how do you feel about it what's the opinion 
we kind of go on automatic. Um, we just do it because it's something that we have to do. Um, I just take my emotions out of it. It's a drill. It's practice. I just have to get it done. We have to get through it. Um, do I feel safer with all the drills? I don't. That was my follow-up question. Like, do you? I, I do don't you feel, feel any safe? safer. And I, I don't think the kids do either. Oh no, they're stressed out about it. Yeah. My son. Yeah. Is so like the day after, like when he comes home and they've had a drill that day, I have to like figure out what to do in the house to just take his mind off it because he automatically. So my son hyperfixates. Like for example, with the Stoneman Douglas, he took time to look up every single person. Wow. He looked up every person, and then he found one particular person he found like so many things in common with, and it was mm. this woman. I forget her name. Um, he was like, no, this woman. She was this old, and she did this on her spare time. She played soccer, whatever. And like for a really long time, he was just hyperfixated. Like that could have been me, mom. Like I'm in it. Mm. And as a parent, it's like oh you know shit like like what do you do because i i personally can't teach my son at home um that's i can't be a homeschooler however i try to look you know i look up the schools i look up what's going on look up the area like i I am that parent that will take the kid out of the school there's too many real cold reds and not you know like the drills and things so i can only imagine with these kids going through the drills and like i understand okay it's a drill but like how they're mentally taking it in like oh crap right. like we have to do now more of these drills yeah and we have to become more aware of being close to the window we have to be more aware of who's gonna be close to the door because now okay like for my son like when he gets very serious about things so he's like oh mm-mm. no when things and drills is happening let's go everybody listen up like we have to make sure like i get right. home he's very much uh vigilant but i think i probably made him that way right but um when he comes home he has to decompress like it's really affecting his mental health so it's the mental health portion of it is a big part i think of the teachers i think of the students i think of the staff i think of the these now uh, officers this one officer that's responsible for this entire school to make sure that they're safe and then there's that could be possible police officers to come and help them if a situation like that does happen and what protocols they have to follow to protect the school and we know from experience that the protocols just aren't where we want them to be yet unfortunately right and the students they don't really know if it's a drill or if it's real a lot of them think it is real and we have to let them know that no this is just a drill it's not real um but like i said i don't really get my emotions into it i kind of just do it it's Mm -hmm. a drill i know it's coming um the principal let us know sometimes like hey on friday we're having a drill and then at other times they don't um, I guess just so we don't get we're, we're prepared. We don't get used to, you know, it being announced all the time, kind of to catch us off guard. Um, but, yeah, it's very taxing on both students and teachers, honestly. Is there some sort of like desensitization almost that happens as well? Because I, I hear you say that, you know, you just sort of you just do it. It's something to do. Like, was it always that way or that it's is it something that just like slowly started like happening um i think it's something that slowly started happening um where we do it so frequently that it's kind of just another part of the job Mm -hmm. as horrible as that sounds Mm -hmm. to say it's just something else that we do just like a fire drill just like a tornado drill it's to me it's just another drill um 
Yeah. What do you, what do you do after a drill like that? Do the drills affect you anymore? I know, like at a certain point, you get used to it. You're like, okay, it's part of the job. I have to do this. The drill is coming, or even if it doesn't happen, or they don't tell you about it, you're like, okay, we're going through this. We're going through the steps. Like, did it maybe um, affect you more in the beginning, more so than now? Has it become you know another another part of your movement, or is it you know, or do you need the time to decompress afterwards? It's just a part of the job for me, but I don't let the students know that. Mm-hmm. Um, after every drill, I sit my students down. We have a conversation. Um, I'll ask them how are they feeling, things like that. They don't really say much. They're actually very quiet after the drill. I can um, I think they're maybe just processing it. Of course. Um, and after every ju- drill, the school calls home. They do a robocall, so they sent a call out. Good. Home that tells no. My my school. Out of the elementary school, he was in because they had code reds. And they would never. So call then, me. so then your child is thinking this is real. Yes, and I'm losing my mind. Yeah. So at my school, um, we do a robocall, a call out, what's right. called a call out, and we let parents know, like, hey, today we had a code red drill, but it was just a drill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very important to let parents know that, so then when they get home, they can have those conversations with their right. students. And like I said, a lot of students think it's real. Mm-hmm. So it's important for when they get home, those parents can let the students know like, hey, this was just a drill. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a team effort. It's teamwork. Mm-hmm. So we do our part, but I also believe parents need to do their part I as agree. well. It's a village. I agree. I think yeah. it's important that your school does that. It, it gives these parents a space to create a a safe space for the kids to come home if they need to decompress also it sets them up for success Mm -hmm. if you're if you're going through whatever it is you're going through and um if you're going through whatever you're going through and uh your parent has no idea but it's something that happens so not necessarily frequently but as like a norm there has to be kind of like a hey we did this today and imagine you get that call on your way home like okay cool let me let me grab my son's favorite ice cream or let me grab whatever it is or let me mentally prepare myself for when he comes home and he's a little bit quiet or um or she's um a little bit different from how she was when i dropped her off or whatever it is because these kids go through so many different things it's, and they absorb everything they, absorb they do everything yeah. so I, I admire your school for doing that we need more uh, school that take responsibility for things as major as that so, Thank you. <laughs> so you talked about the mental health component of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. How is that implemented in the schools? So we have a, an amazing behavior health specialist at our school. Um, and um, he's just there to service the students, to help them if any of them want to talk. Um, I know after the recent shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas, um, it did happen a few days before school closed. I think it happened like that Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. and I school did. closed on Thursday. So it was just a few days. Um, I remember having a moment of silence with my students and kind of just asking them, does anybody, you know, have anything they want to share? Are they feeling any certain type of way? And it was just quiet across the board, silence. Um but it does affect the kids as well. I think a lot of times as adults, we think it just affects us, but they're human too and they have feelings too and they feel things. And I think it's important for us as educators and their parents to just have those conversations with them, for them to have an outlet 
to discuss that. Um, they may not be comfortable talking to me, their teacher, or to their parents, but the behavior specialist is there. And um, we have a male behavior specialist, and he builds those relationships with students where they feel comfortable coming to talk with him. And he'll, you know, pull a teacher aside like, hey, Miss Miss Jean Tenoble, you know, so-and-so is struggling with this or that. Um, but it's about building relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you have yes. to build relationships with them and make them comfortable enough to come to you. And open up. And, and more to your point, I think that as adults, when we are faced with stressful or traumatic situations, we have a greater awareness as to what is actually maybe happening in our bodies. And we're able to put names to some of those emotions, right? Because if right. we're able to name it, then we're able to cope with it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, kids are just, you know, fi- finding themselves and they're discovering, you know, anger and joy and sadness and frustration. And now, as they're dis- in the space of discovery, when it comes to, r- like, regular daily life emotions, now you're compile on the trauma of having to be exposed to this stuff over and over and over again. And there's not one, not enough even like processing time, adequate processing time for for something else happens. Before something else happens. But two... They don't necessarily know how to identify that. You right. know, we can we, we we identify maybe, you know, sadness and joy and anger, but then part of the silence is like how do I even feel? Like how do I even say, I can't say this is PTSD. How do you that? Right. right? Mm-hmm. Like I I don't have the words for it. And so if I don't have the words for it, how do I even begin to address it and heal it? And, heal from it, and, right. and it's just right. it it breaks my heart. And is that something that you as a teacher are also a bit desensitized to or does it hit you just as strongly every time you hear this news and like how does it in terms of like maybe fear or concern or whatever like how does that come up for you every time we have a school shooting that happens in america it affects me i cry i um i'm emotional because i'm an educator and i'm with those babies every day and I love them, um, so I kind of take on that toll. Um, I grieve, I process it, and then I move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't stay in that space too long. Um, I know part of our active drills, I know they tell teachers that um, when we're being trained that if a student is outside in the hallway and you have a group of students and we're in a code red in a serious situation um, that we are to leave that student outside. What? Yeah, I heard that. Um, I and heard that. that never sat well with me. And um, I'm trying not to get emotional talking about it because how can I, quote unquote, sacrifice one student's one student for the 20 that's in my classroom? Um, but then again. But at the same time, um, letting that one student in can jeopardize everyone else's life. So I always just pray to God, don't let me be in the situation where I have to make that decision. And um, I know a lot of times, you know, when we're having conversations with teachers about like their students and I would absolutely stand in front of a bullet for 
my students. No, no doubt about it. I wouldn't flinch. I wouldn't think twice about it. At the same time, it makes me sad because I wouldn't get to go home to my family. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of teachers feel that way, but we don't want to be deemed as selfish. And one thing that I've learned from my therapist is that the two things can coexist in the same space. I can feel like, yes, I would absolutely save my students. I would absolutely stand in front of a bullet, in front of a bullet for my students. And at the same time, I can still be sad knowing that my parents would lose their daughter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so the two can coexist. And it's it's just, it's very taxing and emotional. And it's just something that I pray to God that I'm never faced with. Um, you know, and I think every school, every teacher believes that it won't happen to their school until it does, Amen. you know? Um, so... Like I said, I'm desensitized to it. I feel it when it happens to another school. I deal with it, I process it, and then we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe at times we get laxed. Do you think we're moving on too quickly? Like, because you know what I mean? Like it happens and then we have that emotional space and then um, we're praying for this area, we're praying for the students, we're praying and we're wanting the gun laws to change, we're wanting the amendments to change, we're wanting all this change. And then after a week, you hear nothing else. Do you think we're stepping out of that space too quickly? I think America's desensitized as well. I agree. I think they're too frequent. I agree. And they happen too often. Um, Like you said, we don't really have time to process it before the next one happens. Um, it's so frequent and that that's sad. That's very heartbreaking. Um, do I believe people should have guns? Absolutely. That's your amendment. That's your right. Um, AK 47s. Absolutely not. There's no no reason why a civilian should after their 18th birthday, be able to buy an AK-47 and all that ammo. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, because when things like this happen, I follow up with like the news and articles online. Right. And I remember a doctor saying that in Uvalde, Texas, the bodies were decimated. Oh my God. Um, I mean, they couldn't even identif- identify the children. So, um, I don't it's gosh um and then there's the teachers you know i know reading about um irma garcia one of the teachers in uvalde texas her husband died Mm -hmm. after her and that just crushed me because now their children are not only without a mother but also without a father so um i think it's important to have these type of conversations i agree no matter how tough no matter how tough yeah. No matter how difficult. Every time we talk about, sorry, every time we talk about this, it, it um, I think the reason why, or part of the reason why we don't talk about it is because our people are so sensitive towards it. They don't want to talk about how these children are being murdered, or the children are being murdered, but they want to talk about how they want the guns and they want access to AK-47 because they need that to hunt, and they don't know what cow they're going to eat after they hunted with the AK-47. However, the conversation of, of these families, the conversation of these teachers, the conversation of these children, it never resurfaces. It turns into, should we have a gun or not have a gun? Versus, what can we do to make sure that these teachers, that these students, that the staff, that the schools are safer? Right. 
Right. Um, and I believe that they shouldn't block out the bodies and the pictures. I believe that let's show all the graphic pictures, you know, um, to kind of, you know, you know, wake people up. You know what What really, what's an interesting observation I made is that um, we we grapple with so many different issues in America. And one of the reasons why we wanted to have this podcast is to talk about melanated bodies, specifically about, you know, black men, black women, black people living in America. And I find it so fascinating, like whenever um, something happens where a black man or a black woman um, dies at the hand of police brutality, one of the first things that they ask about is like, let me see the video or let me see the picture. Or, let me see what's going on. And there's this graphic display that is right. very blatant all over social, social media, media, all over the news. Yep. Um, people want to see it because the only way that they're able to humanize the um, um, the the, per- the black person whose debt is by seeing just how atrociously they died or they were murdered. Right. Right. And same thing happens when they're talking about the like wars and that are happening like outside of the country when the you know the war in, in Ukraine like on CNN they showed like this whole family decimated right at you know at the hands of like um uh the Russian um opposition but anytime something like this happens with a mass shooting in a school or things like that we don't get to see that which I think should be the same across the board because we don't need to see the brutality display at such a rate that it completely desensitizes us because I feel like that's the effect that it has at least on me and people that I've had conversations with but it shouldn't be that way at all and the other thing is no teacher should go to school and say this may be the last day that I actually get to see my family. Right. And going a step beyond what you know you shared with me in terms of like having those two emotions coexisting, there's also you have the right to want to survive. Right. Yes. Survival is a normal human in- instinct. It is. Amazing. And you as hard as it is because i know you deeply care about your students and a lot of teachers do it's also okay to want to make it out alive yeah because when i've had conversations with law enforcement officers a lot of them have also said you know we're told that we need to get the job done and go home Mm. so it's it's interesting to me as you were saying that you know what i won't hesitate to put myself in front of a bullet and and in a and in one of my students Without hesitation, you stated that, but that such is not the case for some of officers like I've spoken to who actually have the work, like their job is to protect and to serve. Mm-hmm. Right. That is not part of your job description. Oh, it's by not, the way, you not. have to stand between a bullet and a child in case of a situation of, of an active shooting. Um, it's shooter not. Situation. It's unspoken. It's devastating it's unspoken and i feel like as educators if we voice you know feeling scared or not wanting to do it or you know wanting to go home to our families then we're deemed selfish right Right. and that's very unfair it is it really is and regardless ultimately 
you deserve to be selfish if that's the way that they're going to deem it because ultimately if you think about it you want your child to come home right yes. so that would necessarily be selfish of that parent mm-hmm. so in every sense if we're if we're naming the teachers selfish then everybody's selfish in that sense because i want my son to come home yeah. i want that teacher to go home too everybody wants to go home exactly yeah. there, there should never be a choice that that's that's not there's no choice in that no i want to show up i want to do what i came here to do i want to share what i came to share and i want to make it home i want to make sure my students make it home and they continue on and become successful in life that that's right i think that's a very normal thing to want and agreed the, <laughs> and the conversation of of blaming teachers for feeling that way we get blamed for everything my <laughs> mind. i can never wrap my mind yeah something that like actually drove me crazy was the video of a, a mass shooting in Texas and seeing that the, the there were cops inside after and they stood in the hallways for 58 minutes yeah with their shields their ballistic shields up it's a long time with with their M16s and that you can hear the shooting happening in the school yeah in the school frozen so your expectation of that teacher is to stand in the bullet in front of the bullet for those kids to protect those kids but you have but as an officer you wouldn't do it you're standing in the hallway and waiting for instruction but you hear you hear for 58 minutes people are being literally butchered inside of the school i don't know how they sleep at night um as a parent any even if i didn't have a student in there i would kick down that door yeah. That, I, I mean, did you hear or see about the, the mother who actually oh, drove right. 40 minutes Went and then was detained got because she was trying to go, get into the school got yeah. herself out and her the, kids. Yep. yep. And yep. then went and got her kids and then uh, up a few more kids. I don't know. That would be me. Yeah. That yeah. would be me. Because how dare you stand this, out here in the same span of time that they were just standing, standing there? Yeah. How dare there. you? The way that they were, the way that they were, literally pushing the parents back. No, no, no! And you guys have people that are waiting to go inside the school that are like doing nothing. I wow, watching the videos blew my mind. I was so angry. I was so angry because these videos are now surfacing. Yeah. You, like, the the thing is for me, I wouldn't be able to see the graphics. You know what I, I mean? I don't want to. I don't, yeah. I don't want to see the graphics. However, the audio was enough. Mm. Because when they played that audio of the... There's literally police officers saying, let's go. What are we waiting for? Yeah. Like, there's this one one cop. There's a one cop. What are we waiting for? What are the instructions we're waiting for? Where we're inside the school. What are we mm. doing? And you can hear... And you can hear all the shooting. And you can hear everything going on. Like I'm getting goosebumps right it's now. It's enough yeah. for me. It's enough for me to know that this situation was enough for them to do more than what they did. Yeah. It's, and I feel like sometimes hearing that, just just the same way of hearing that police, um, that body cam, hear, like hearing the audio for me is enough. I'm not someone who needs to see the visual. Because mm-hmm. for me, I already know, I already know what you're doing. And I, yeah. and I can already see how this person is not going to make it. By the way that the the way that the audio was starting, unfortunately, yeah, you can unfortunately tell that person is not going to make it to the to, to you know to continue on. Yeah. So listening to the audio from the school, from these body cams, yeah, was definitely enough for me. If I if I if I saw these kids. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep and I know I wouldn't I would definitely go through some form of trauma more so than what I already experienced from it and the same thing with like the thing is with overseas 
they don't share everything. They it's yeah. all propaganda. They yeah. want you to see what they want you to see. Of course, of course, it's all framed. It is. Of course, if they showed you what was actually going on, yeah. and how they were actually, you know, supplying certain things to people, how they're actually uh, murdering people, how they're actually doing these things, do you think you people, so many people, still support war? Would still support gun laws. Would still mm. support the way that we enter certain spaces. If they actually saw the way that we we were instructed to move into these spaces, to take over these lands, to to completely butcher these people, do you think that people would support war the same way? They they mm. show you what they want to show you to of make course. you make you feel it's an what agenda. They, yeah, they they show exactly what they want to show you. Enough. They, they show you enough. Just enough. Just enough for them. Right. For them to to then sit down in the floor in, in in the senate to give their speech because you know it's their time to be reelected for their seat and they're like right. oh how dare we do nothing and then continue to do nothing after you are reelected for that same seat you've been sitting in for 30 years right it's, it blows my mind the fact that it blows my mind you can't go to school you can't go to the grocery store you can't go to church you're not safe anywhere you you're not safe anywhere nope and then what what are we doing to change that we're we're still in this purposeless conversation and we're blaming guns and not the people how about we tackle all of it let's let's tackle all of it like it can coexist let's tackle the gun laws and not allow certain guns to be just available to all people or anyone no one needs an ak-47 anywhere exactly as a civilian let's tackle who's getting these guns what background checks we're actually doing because the background check is only related to if you buy the gun in the store but if i go and my friend has a gun and they're selling it i can actually legally buy that gun from them it's kind of like with like how you sell your car right and they do not require a background check you can get Mm. it at that moment that day it's your gun so the background check is only related to one thing so okay do you think that person is only buying guns in that way imagine so what what other what other ideas should we have to make this a safer space for not just us but for our kids and for the generations that follow we need to we need to tackle mental health big time Big time. Big time. Mental health has to be number one. On yeah, that. it has to. I think that stems, mental health stems um, from everything else. Mm-hmm. It starts with mental health. Um, if you're not doing well mentally, you know, you never know what's going through someone's he- someone's mind and their heart. Um, a lot of people harbor a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, um, and people snap. People snap. And sometimes it's calculated. Sometimes people don't slap. Some snap. Right. Sometimes it's premeditated. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in, in domestic violence for a number of years, for several years. And one of the things that I definitely learned in that during that during my tenure there is that the the sociological model of community and power and control in the very same breath like are it's very much real and expands from the household unit all the way to the like societally or like yeah societally or like worldly right so and and conversely any sort of power and control dynamic that is displayed on the largest scale so on a political level on a societal level transpires into the family and the household unit Mm. so what that means is people who believe and it's of course very much in a a sense very much gender-based because we if we're going to address this we're going to address 
you know, patriarchy being like one of the biggest culprits, right? Right. We're going to talk about, you know, male privilege being like a very, very real thing where they believe they are entitled to certain power and control. Right. And there is such a strong relationship and such a strong connection between the, um, the, the, the shooters, yeah, the perpetrators of those vi- of, of those violent crimes in the schools in those areas and feeling as though they lost some sort of power and control over someone mm-hmm. or over Something. their intimate partner, right. um, over a certain like situation where they felt entitled to that. Mm-hmm. And how dare you tell me that the privilege that I grew up believing fully into that I have, I actually do not. Oh, that entitlement is huge. And it's and it's it's so pervasive because you have um, there was a connection with the the uh, the the Stoneman um, Douglas shooting that happened there and him having broken up with with his with his girlfriend um, recently one um, one of my friends um, is from the state of um, Indiana and one of the uh, somebody they grew up with went into went, went into a household and literally like shot up everybody in that household and then shot themselves because the girlfriend actually broken up with him right and there's like this yes mental health absolutely because w- that doesn't that shouldn't happen right but then there is like yeah. this level of entitlement yes. Yes. That is so deeply rooted in the power and control dynamics of all the way from like our little household all the way going to to like even like governmental stuff. Mm -hmm. That is also very much like a real thing. And so how I under agree mental health. But like in the meantime, though, like, can we ban assault rifles? Like, can can that be a thing? I was doing some research, and I know that you have some information, too. I was flabbergasted that, um, first of all, I knew there was a correlation between, like, gun violence, like, um, gun death rates and the lax laws in the states. So states with, like, the most strict um, gun laws also happen to have some of the lowest the lowest death rates by gun violence mm, and conversely states with the most laxed um gun laws also happen to have the highest death rates by gun violence yeah and ranking at number 50 and update me i was gonna say let me just jump in real quick you are completely right california does have the strictest laws Mm -hmm. new york has the most updated um like they're the ones that's doing things actively so like Mm. they're they're trying to pick up all the rifles they're trying Mm. to um they're trying to get rifles off the street they're coming up with a new law to their where you're only allowed to have certain rifles or certain guns on you that is what the most recent thing is and Mm -hmm. there was a conversation basically saying like you know new york needs to be the strictest because and they're listing all their stats. So you were right. Mm-hmm. California does oh, have okay, the strictest yeah. laws. I had to okay. look it up. When when you said that, I was like, okay, I read this. Let me just read it one more time before I, I put <laughs> this on. Is Texas, the, is Texas the most laxed? I feel no. like Texas would... Actually, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Oh, Where they hang people. Mississippi. Oh, and by the way, they have op- like, open carry is legal. You can openly carry a weapon wow. anywhere, including your vehicle wow. in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. There is no waiting period. Nope. So you can walk in there and then just buy your gun. There is no background check. That has a 
That has disaster written all over it. No background check, no waiting period. Oh, and no limits on the amount of guns guns or ammunition that you can actually purchase. Mm -hmm. None of that. Wow. So I could have a hundred guns. Mm -hmm. An unlimited amount of ammo. Yeah, I just feel like buying, you know, a hundred guns today. Oh, and by the way, you don't conduct any background checks. So, yeah. And you don't question the... What I struggle with is... Like in Uvalde, Texas, an 18-year-old going in and buying an AK-47 and all that ammo. And no one questioning it? And no one questioning it. Like, why, as a civilian, like you said, why would you need that? Right. Why wouldn't that um, cause raise a red flag. flag, raise a flag right away? A panic button installed. There right. There has to be something that you should or be able to do. Or the cops could follow up or someone could follow up. Um, even if you do let that person purchase it. Mm-hmm. But a follow up, like, hey, like, you know. So you have all this going on and you wait till they do something like that. To be like, oh, you know what? They did say that this all this was going to happen. Maybe they don't take it seriously. I don't know. Maybe they're desensitized. I mean, I'm just a teacher. What do I know? (laughs) Oh, boy. That was was a good slogan. (laughs) 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 Well. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. One of the things that I found interesting when I was doing all this research, thanks, Anne. um, You're welcome. We're like, you can do all the the bullet points. (laughs) We're like going back and prepared i love it is that california having the strictest gun law actually um banned assault rifles go cali Uh, wait Mm -hmm. wait wait for it don't praise them wait there's more in june of 2021 a federal judge overturned California's ban on assault weapons on the grounds that it violates the constitutional right to bear arms. arms. How much did they pay him? Listen. All of these these judges are, like, funded by the NRA. Yeah, of course. It's grotesque. So, as of right now, it is very much still illegal because the state is is appealing that claim, is appealing the, um, the, the, the rule. But think about it. That a federal judge would go as far as overturning that. Yeah. Is it the same using, judge? using the Constitution as a reason to ban. Like, wh- what is the reason? Mm-hmm. And it's just so places like California ha- is the seventh lowest rate of deaths by gun violence, by the way. Massachusetts, in order for you to get a permit to purchase, you have to get it from the local police department. Um, And the lowest gun ownership rate is, I happen to also be in Massachusetts and New Jersey and Hawaii. And guess what? Those people also have, those those, um, areas, states also have the lowest death rates by gun violence. And the states with the least strict gun laws are New Hampshire, South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, West Virginia, Alabama, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Alaska, Kansas, South Dakota, Arizona, Kentucky, Missouri, Idaho, Wyoming, and of course, dead last is Mississippi. Hmm. And guess what the correlation is? Also the highest death rates by gun violence in those areas. Hmm. The deepest eye roll. The deepest eye roll for what? What do you guys think will change this because obviously seeing children gunned down in schools is not um, bringing about change fast enough all i gotta say is that what is that country is it new zealand is it new zealand where um there was an incident uh, a mass shooting incident one time wow and 
immediately after Mm -hmm. they went ahead and they banned assault weapons guess how many mass shooting incidents have had since zero that is correct Mm -hmm. wow you want to hear something funny so it's not funny like haha funny it's funny ironic it's not a funny topic um we laugh at trauma, unfortunately. We do. It's and bad. We'll be really suffering. It's a defense mechanism. It is 100% oh, yeah, a defense yeah. mechanism. So Canada, the entire country, or con- is, it, is Canada a continent? It is a continent, yeah? I don't know, it's bro. Part, it's geography. North America. <laughs> Canada geography. and United States are yeah. make up the yeah, so Yeah, yeah girl. Yeah. Anyway, so in Canada, <laughs> after our bullshit in Texas, they banned, they banned assault rifles. As the they next should. day. The next day, the next day, the America, next day, take heed. They literally was like, no, we're banning these. And they set up like, um, like am- amnesty boxes and they're giving people like, this amount of time to turn in their weapons. And if they don't, then they're, you know, there's things that fall. People are like, oh, it's my right. right. They're like, oh, that's cool. That is your right. Have a comma. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Right. You don't need an AK-47. You don't. You but, do with it? but you also had to have it registered. So even when, as they're banning those weapons, they're still able to follow up and see like, oh, this person registered their weapons back in, I don't know, 1999. Right. And they probably still have it in their attic somewhere. Right. So let's go and find out. Whereas right. there are states where you're like, you don't need to register this. What do you mean? You don't need it at all. Right. You're good. So even if we were to move into the space where we're going to like ban assault weapons, mm-hmm. like how would that even take place is a whole nother, how we go about is is a whole nother thing. And in the same spirit of like things coexisting i agree with you that mental health is a huge component of it and i wish there was a that and i know i wish i know it's possible for us to do those things in tandem simultaneously yes yeah right that's what the, i feel like that's what the government is afraid of they're afraid of how much work has to go into it if we just sit back and relax and do some how to go away on its own exactly just give people some time Versus they know it's it's not just a one-step thing. They know it's not just, oh, we're going to do this one thing, it's going to go away. They know there's mul- it's multi-tiers. They know they have to work with other people. They don't want to work with that senator from wherever else. They don't want to work with that person from here. They don't want to go against the NRA and all these different... Oh, man. The NRA is funding so much of our government. Of course. They don't want to go against the money. But can we talk about executive orders really quick, though? Yes, and how when... Uvalde happened, how we, you know, we had our president just really make this plea. Sleepy Joe. On <laughs> when, you know, to repeat his words, when in, when in Gaza, and we're going to say enough and we're going to do something about it. And like, quick reminder that you are the, the president. president. Executive <laughs> orders are very much a thing but this these issues are so politicized that we're willing to overlook lost lives senseless Mm. loss senseless loss that can be avoided that can completely be avoided for the sake of preserving votes and that to me it doesn't sit well with me same same when he says things like that like you have to kind of like look around like you being so you're are you just the face is that what the president is now becoming just the face after the donald trump era and him just talking crap just to to talk crap and he honestly was just the face and he was signing just ridiculous bills for no reason that would help his people and his money so now from his era i think it's becoming more and more 
obvious that the president is becoming a, the face. I mean, they do say that the president is a puppet. It, I mean, it makes sense. Outrageous leftist over here, <laughs> by the way. Probably should have well, forewarned you. <laughs> man, it doesn't make sense. Like, just make it make sense. Like, we went through all of this to get Trump out of office just for us to be sitting in bullshit. We have so many of the same things happening over and over. And the president is the one that's making a plea for there to be change. And you're the fucking president. Like... I mean, like, so that means we don't need you, bro. Like, <laughs> like what, what is the point of voting for you, of rallying for you, of telling people to vote for you, telling us to, oh, make sure you go out and vote and do all these things. We're voting for you. We're, putting, we're literally putting our lives and our kids' lives in your hand, yet where you're begging those people or the Senate or Congress or whomever to make the change because... Just, I feel like the best conversation to have would be a real one. Instead of it being kind of okay, let's write it out and have somebody read it and review before the before the president goes up there because they let Trump run his mouth. So I would I would love to see someone go up there and say this is this is what we got going on, and these are the reasons why it's not happening. And mm. so, and you know give some realness to what's actually going on because people where we live now we do give so much power to the government to make decisions for us yeah. how we're moving what laws we're following and there should be laws obviously but there's no there's no transparency what is actually happening what laws are actually moving what who who is behind it what is causing this movement why aren't things moving simultaneously why aren't the changes happening as they should so what Parkland because there's no campaign because then there's no campaign slogan there's, there's no, no right. right but then there's no there's no agenda there is no there's nothing for people to run on right like as long as we have struggle and as long as we have issues and challenges then you're always going to have somebody saying that they're going to be the one that's different and is going oh, to put yeah. put an end to it exactly right i mean if we talk about roe v way there's the there is this thing circulating on on social media where like how it started and how it's going and as he he was campaigning speaking of current president as he was campaigning was like i will make roe v wade like the law of the land yeah. like i will solidify that so that it cannot be overturned okay. and reversed and then how it's on the, how it's going things another tweet of his that goes oh you you know constituents like should vote for the people of course like i.e democrats should vote for the people that will continue to uphold roe v wade uh, right but that's not what you said and there should be like you know the the stenographer you know just kind of like hey can you can you go back a little bit i mean we do that as a people anyway but can we go back really quick and just kind of like review this thing because that's not what you said right a lot so, of things that he said, uh, and he's saying new things that are completely opposite. And 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 I agree with you that a lot of that power is given to is is left to the hands of the government. And I do believe that our vote, our votes matter. But I I very much want to be more of the disruptor in the sense of like, yeah, I'm gonna vote, but I'm also going to mess like you know. I'm gonna ask. Questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask questions. I'm gonna like completely right. upheave this thing because right. otherwise. Because you're not gonna do it. So what do I need to do? What like do I need to be boots on ground to actually make sure that this stuff happens too? So like, how do we revolutionize? How do we rally and take this thing to the streets and take the matters into our hands as much as possible? I mean, we need a revolution. That's where I'm at. I agree. That'd be a good song to play. I agree. That's where I'm at. (laughs) So I I just you know, but I agree with you. how do you take care of yourself going back to that mental health piece as we're wrapping up 
how do you navigate being, you know, separating all of that and still be Rose? Wow. For a very long time, I did not take care of myself. Um, for a very, very long time. Um, I have something now called Self-Care Sundays. Cheers to Self-Care Sundays. Um, cheers to Self-Care Sundays. Um, it's just something that I came up with. Um, kind of just mentally preparing myself for the school week ahead. Um, on Sundays, I would just uh, dread like the upcoming week because I know there was just so much to do. Um, so I took it upon myself to do self-care Sundays. I mean, it's really anything that I want. I get a massage. I get a facial. Um, I go to church, hang out with friends. I go to brunch. I mean, it's really just me that makes you happy. yeah just prepping myself mentally for the week ahead um but i know a lot of teachers who don't take care of themselves mm-hmm. um who put the job first i we <sighs> teaching is our life mm-hmm. um and a friend reminded me really today that there's more to life than teaching um There's, you know, other things out there. We have our whole lives, you know, we have our family, we have our friends. And um, with teaching, you kind of get consumed with it all. Um, We take all of that home. We take our students and their problems home. Um, The day-to-day interactions, we take all of that with us. So just finding an outlet to decompose. I work out um, and um, I work out, I go out for walks, um, I run, I love running. Um, just doing, just moving, moving my body. Um, I do some journaling. Um, I'm in therapy. I was going to say, shout Gosh. out to your therapist. Shout out to my <laughs> therapist. Shout out to, to, shout out to our, our therapist. therapist. Man. <laughs> they are. I, I honestly wouldn't be where I am today without my therapist. And, um, you know, growing up Haitian, you know, you go to church, mm-hmm. you pray about everything. You pray through it. Mm -hmm. Um, But at one point, I realized that I can't pray through this. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist. I agree. Um, Because God made that therapist. Yes. No, for real. Everything (laughs) has its purpose. And through God, you find purpose. And God made that purpose for that person to talk to them, talk to you through them. Everyone has a purpose and it all feeds into each other. You are God and so are they. So the communication should be mirrored. Yeah. Sorry for that's beautiful. I know. <laughs> that's beautiful. Like something wow, like, just like plopped on top of you and they're just like, yes. That wasn't you. You're just yeah. That that was awesome. But I'm a huge advocate for um therapy. Like I said, I wouldn't be where I am today without my therapist. She is phenomenal. Um, just taught me a lot of like coping mechanisms and and and, and um how to I mean just we've been working on a bunch of things but yeah I am the woman I am today because of therapy um and of course I do you know discuss teaching and and my therapy sessions um it's a big component of my sessions um like I said it's very taxing and um we take a lot of it in I mean if my students are struggling through something I mean I've had students who are homeless I mean I I take that with me I carry that around with me some people don't realize what certain students are actually going through they, they find their meals at yeah. school. they don't eat at home they yeah don't have active parents it could be just them it could be there's so a lot many of them things. are raising younger siblings. younger siblings and 
that's I mean, I'm five and I'm raising my two-year-old, you know, yeah. brother or sister. It's, it's hard hearing their stories. Really. Yeah. Really so, is. yeah. It's admirable what you do. It's, it really Thank is. You. I love the yes. fact that you love what you do. I wish they would pay me. But, oh, I you wish know. they would pay you too. <laughs> I, there have been so many <laughs> teachers pivoting into product management roles and like um, uh, tech education. Yeah. And like doubling or tripling their salaries. Yeah. And because of the burnout. And oh, so how. Definitely. The I burnout. And you. how um, do you do it? Like, how have you been able to do it for so long and especially for the last three years with everything that's been oh, going man, on with COVID it's it's been tough how, how um, did you get the resilience to to keep going I'm not gonna lie I'll be completely honest I've looked into tech I've looked into other things um you the burnout is real mm-hmm. the burnout is real I mean I have teachers at my school who 25 year vets 30 year vets and I'm just like oh my god god bless your heart that's a really long time and as much as I love it it it's you get burned out it's very taxing and um but I think just taking care of ourselves and our mental health and um decomposing and um again have other things outside of teaching yeah. outside of work I love painting mm. um different things like that so just trying to because you can get lost in all of it yeah you very can. quickly yes. and especially after doing it for so long um at times it could be an autopilot sometimes I feel like I'm in, I'm on autopilot right, right. it's good to um, take time to relearn yourself and learn the things you like because it's true you get so um, you fall within what you're doing. Like there's so many things you want to do and because you love what you do, which I love hearing, you get involved in all these different details and for you to take a step back and say, you know what? I am not just this. I like this. I like to do this. It's beautiful to hear that you're relearning certain aspects of yourself and really diving into that and allowing yourself that space and that comfortability. So like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do today. And I enjoy this, this portion of myself, but I can also be this and I can also be that. It's Great, phenomenal. Thank you. And of course, interior decorating and you know, doing event oh, planning. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. You know, my sister and I we started a business um Ooh. right before the pandemic hit. Nice. And 2019 and um that takes up a lot of my time. Great. And I'm so thankful for that. It, it helps me just escape um just like the day, the ins and outs, the day and day to day of um, of teaching. Um, shameless plug: Sapphire yes, Events plant Sapphire Events West Palm Beach on social media. Nice. Check us out. Heard. Sapphire Events West Palm Beach. On WPB. Media. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, thank you guys. I'm so glad we could have this conversation yes. um, because I feel like a lot of times teachers, we don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. They don't really care what we have to say, unfortunately. Um, they just want us to go in and do the job and get the job done. Right, for no pay. Um, for no pay, exactly. Um, so it's nice to have an outlet to have this conversation and kind of let you guys know what goes on behind the scene a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, we're. Tr- I am... Complete, so honored that you yeah. decided to spend your evening with us. Aww. Um, do you have any plans over your summer break? Oh my goodness. Traveling? Yes. Good. I'm about to do four states in four weeks. It's going to be uh, crazy. Uh, yes. I love that. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, the school year is really long and, you know, it like 
really turns my like gear when people say, you know, teachers get summers off. You just those ten months that we're in school. Oh my goodness, we saying, need you have no life. We need Learn. those summers. You have to. It, we need those it's summers. It's so hard for teachers to take real vacations. Like, right. You have to show and up. And the kids need a break too. Right. The kids need a summer as well. It's not just about us, the teachers, right. but the kids need it as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'll be traveling. Uh, my cousin's getting married on Friday. Oh, I mean, I have. Oh, yeah. I'm excited! I can't wait to see her walk down the aisle. But I mean, just enjoying my summer, resting, yes. um, eating right, drinking a lot of water, yes, um, working out. A lot of the things that I don't get to do during the school year because I have to be at work at 7:30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to go to the gym like around five, you know. But during the summer, that's when I really get to rejuvenate. And take my time waking up. Slow mornings. Taking yes. my time waking up. Shout out to morning. slow mornings. Yes, shout out to slow mornings. <laughs> it's beautiful. Summers are beautiful. Again, we appreciate you coming and taking time with us and getting a chance to use us as an outlet. And we would love to have you back to have further conversations. Yes. So definitely keep that I want to come back for like a, a spicier, exciting um. <laughs> Everybody wants to come for the spice. Yes, we, we, we sprinkle spice in there. <laughs> salt in there. No teacher talk. I want like adult talk the next time no, I come okay. here. Oh, yeah. okay. We have great plans. We have a list Listen. of things. Right. Don't 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 be saying it. No, <laughs> I'm no, I'm so serious. <laughs> Listen, you have my number. Text me. Like, I will put come your money here. where your mouth is. Where your mouth you is. Show up Listen. <laughs> Pull up. Pull up. <laughs> I'm going to pull up. Pull up. I am going to pull up. That's good. Yeah. We do have a list of things. That we are, we have um, like a list of topics we want to do. Okay. So once we start putting everything together, we're going to reach out. And we'll do some more projects. A lot of people actually have been reaching out to us more and more and more recently. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited about all the new projects we're putting together. So I'm happy you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm we'll excited for you guys. Evil laugh. So... Again, thank you. And this has been the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for having me. And until next time. Bye. Bye.